Yeah, so-so? That's okay. So, because of the calendar this year, you know, Christmas Eve fell on a Sunday, and New Year's Eve falls on a Sunday. We're, we're end up doing a kind of a two-part sermon today from Philippians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles there, you could join me in Philippians chapter 3. And it's going to be called Onward. Onward. And we're going to look at the same passage two weeks in a row, uh, part one and then part two, of course. And it's going to make sense with going into the new year, leaving, a new, leaving an old year and going into a new year. And what do you speak on? What kind of things should you talk about? Well, this, I thought the music set us up perfectly today, and that was not planned. But uh, we need to stay focused. We need to have a new blank slate, and that's kind of where we're headed today. But before we get to Philippians chapter 3, I have officially tomorrow crossed my one-year anniversary of being your pastor here at Crossroads Church. 2023 is when I started. So I wasn't fishing for that, but I'll reel it in. Um, and so it had me sort of reflective this past year, how it's been, you know, and I've been thinking about this. I'm going to say this. I'm going to give you a list of biggest surprises of the North Country since I've been here. Okay. Biggest surprises that our family has experienced in 2023 here in the North Country. Things that we did not expect. Okay. Number one. You guys have wimpy winters, <laughs> and therefore you are a bunch of girly men. Now, I lived in Northeast Pennsylvania. We used to get a lot of snow. I came up here thinking it's got to be worse, way worse. More snow, more cold. It's less. So you guys lied to me. That was a surprise. How about this one? Two-minute two minute traffic jams are the perfect length. Now, coming from Scranton, if you get in a traffic jam, you're there 30, 40 minutes. So when I leave work sometimes, it's, it's traffic jam here on Meadow Street. You know that? There's one long road of cars, and sometimes I get Meadow Street go, oh, no. Oh, no. I'm going to be here a while. And then two minutes later, I'm gone. I'm home. So that's the perfect amount of traffic jams. That was a surprise. Number three, surprise. If Walmart doesn't carry it, you have to learn to live without it because there's nowhere else to go. Not within the, the radius of you know, 10, 15 minutes, of course, but back in Pennsylvania, you go to a different store and get it. But here, gotta go to Walmart or Amazon. How about number four? Nothing has been typical since we've been here. In fact, if I would sum up 2023, it would be not typical. Everyone told me that over and over and over. This is not typical, not typical, not typical. Will 2024 be typical? Does anyone stand by it? No. Number five surprise is there's five times more beware of moose signs than there are moose. <laughs> Why? What's going on? I want to make a petition to change those signs to beware of ticks. <laughs> Have them say thousands of thousands of people bitten each day. Beware of ticks. Number six surprise, and this surprised me because it's been 20 years since this took place. The falling of the old man of the mountain. But I believe in the North Country, the, fall, the old man of the mountain could run for president right now and win. Still, he could beat both Biden and Trump. Here's a surprise, and this is a good thing. An ugly day in the North Country is still better than a beautiful day in Scranton. It is. So good job, North Country. Number eight surprise is living free and staying alive is a pretty sweet combination. Let's keep that going, okay? We don't have to die. Live free and stay alive is pretty sweet. 
Number nine, the only thing keeping the North Country from being perfect is barbecue. Barbecue. You guys need some barbecue up here. Anyone else think we need some barbecue up here? Ben, come on, man. We got to find us some barbecue. They had barbecue down where I was, and they don't have any up here. And number 10, surprise, and this is another good thing, is the honeymoon period never wore off. We still love the North Country, still love the mountains, still love Crossroads Church. I hope it's, I hope it's the same for you and the walkers. But um, the last one to transition us, transition us today is that Crossroads Church, I believe, truly loves Jesus. And I've been surprised, pleasantly surprised, of a church who loves the Lord so um, passionately. So I'm so thankful to be here. If you have your Bibles, join us in Philippians chapter 3. We'll see how we, get, how we can get through this today. We're going to rely upon the Lord's strength. And so... Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 12 to 16. <clears throat> Philippians 3, verses 12 to 16. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Onward is where we're going today. Our three-point outline is number one, an honest assessment. Number two, a mighty motivation. And number three, a proper focus. Let's start this with an honest assessment. Does anyone like tests? Did anyone enjoy taking tests growing up? Anyone hate tests growing up? Anyone a really bad test taker? Anyone get really stressed on test day? I did. I did. I did not like tests. Tests were very stressful. When the teacher would come up and say, hey, this test is 30% of your overall grade, I wanted to smack them. <laughs> because that's so much pressure, right? If you don't do good on this test, you're probably going to fail the whole class. That's a lot of pressure. In fact, let's, let's be very transparent today. Did anyone? Listen, we're family, we're friends. I have to ask. Did anyone ever cheat on a test or attempted to cheat on a test? I, I did. I know that's a horrible thing to hear about your pastor. But not only did I cheat, I got caught cheating. So I was not feeling the love. Actually, my mom used to pray that for me, Estelle. She said, pray, she used to pray that her kids get caught. Well, I did because I was dumb squared. Too dumb to pass the test and too dumb not to get caught. But tests, they stress us out sometime, right? And now we're jumping into a whole new year, right? And I don't know if you're like this, if you're retrospective, but do you look upon the past year and reflect? Do you guys do that? What was the year like? How would I describe the year? What challenges were there? What victories were there? Well, we need to do that a little bit today. We need to have a little bit of an assessment overall as a church, but also individually. And I think Paul's going to bring that up. So I want you to think right now in the matter of the moments that we have today. Think about your past year. What was it like? How would you rate yourself? How would you rate yourself based on your disciplines or walking with the Lord or church service and attendance, things like that? Well, as a pastor, seeing things that I've seen at this church, I'm overall very, very pleased. 
I think it was a wonderful year for Crossroads Church. I know there's things we can improve upon, and Lord willing, we will. But I was also incredibly encouraged by what God accomplished this past year as a, as a church. And so I want to say thank you to that. But I do this as my, own, as my own self. I look back at the past year and wonder, you know, what things can I improve upon? What things did I do pretty well? What things do I need to pick up a little bit? I know my wife does this as well. We've talked about this recently. And so maybe you're thinking about that today. Well, Paul kind of brings that up in this passage. In verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect. Now, what's he talking about? Well, we don't know because we didn't read the context. Paul is referring to something here. But when he says the word this, he's referring to something he's already stated. So I want to now take us back a little bit and understand a little bit of the context for what Paul is referring to when he says, <coughs> excuse me, when he says the word this, what is he referring to? Well, wrong way. And again, this is the Apostle Paul. This is the guy who wrote, I think, a quarter of the New Testament. I mean, this is the guy that if you look up into anyone in the Bible besides Jesus, it would be Paul. Paul gave his life serving Christ in about every possible way that you could. And he's a legend. He's a legend for that because Paul disciplined himself and paid the cost in order to do everything that pleased Jesus. And there's a great motivation there for us. And he says this in verse uh, 7 and 8 of chapter 3 and going back, looking back at the passage right before this. And even before this, you need to understand <laughs> what Paul has said because Right before this, Paul gives us a little bit of his resume. You know, he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a learned man. I've, I've been religious my whole life. I've tried to serve God my whole life. Paul was not one of these guys who came to, to God or religion late in his life. He served God his whole life. At least he thought he did. And so he gives this resume at the beginning of, verse, of chapter 3 of all these things that Paul has accomplished. And then in verse 7, he says something a little odd. He says this. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Everything I've accomplished, everything I've learned, everything I've done, every sort of good that has come for me, I don't see it as gain. I see it as loss because there's something of greater gain. And that greater gain is Christ. He says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Paul, a scholar, a Pharisee, a smart, religious zealot, once he understood Jesus, saw everything in his life completely differently. Everything that used to be gained is now lost. Everything that used to have pleasure no longer had pleasure. Because someone came into his life that shattered his perspective on what treasure really is. And now Paul says, all I need is him. All I want to serve is my Lord Jesus. So he says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And Paul did. If you read Paul's life, he suffered immensely. But he says, it almost sounds like he's saying, this is a good thing. I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. It's kind of an English word for garbage, right? Trash. In order that I may gain 
Christ. Isn't that a very mature passage? Man, I wish I could say that and mean it and my conscience would align with it saying that's exactly how my heart feels. But it doesn't all the time. I'm still growing in this. I do desire to serve Christ, but I don't know if I could say what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, that everything else is rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ. Can you? Can you look back about 2023 and go, that defines my year. Everything else was garbage in comparison to Jesus. Paul said that. The surpassing value of knowing Christ. What a beautiful phrase. If you know Christ, you know what Paul's talking about. You know what your life was like before Christ, and you know what your life is like now that you have Christ. It's a big difference, isn't it? In fact, can you calculate it? Can you calculate the worth of Jesus? Can you come up and estimate how beautiful and valuable he is to your soul? And the answer is not even close. Because it's of surpassing value. It's beyond our estimation. It's beyond our ability to calculate it. Paul knew that. There's a uh, hymn. We don't sing a lot of hymns today, but some of the hymns are really beautiful, aren't they? You guys like some hymns every now and then? There was a hymn. Um, this is written back in, looks like the 1800s, called I'd Rather Have Jesus. You guys remember this hymn? I don't know if you can see those lyrics. I'm going to read the lyrics. It says, I'd rather have Jesus in silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus in houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or to be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus in anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus in men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus in worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. He's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out of the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead. Isn't that beautiful? I hope that you could sing that. I hope that you can mean that in your spirit, that you'd rather have Jesus because Paul meant it. If you could trade Paul, say, Paul, I'll give you everything. All the learning, all the knowledge, all the wisdom, all the riches, all the experiences of life. And you just don't get Jesus. But you can have everything else. Paul would tell us kindly to get lost. Because he'd rather have Jesus than anything. So this is what he says in Philippians chapter 3. Because you sound like Paul. We're not the immature Paul. I, I don't think like you, Paul. It's almost hard to read Paul because Paul is so up here. And I'm down here. And if I fellowship with anyone, it's usually Peter instead of Paul because Peter's the one always saying things he shouldn't say. He's always messing up. That's the one I really fellowship with. But I want to be like Paul. But notice what he says in verse 12. Right after he says that, that I, everything else is, is, is worthwhile, or excuse me, everything else is garbage in comparison to Christ, he says, not that I have already obtained this. Paul is not saying he's arrived. Paul is not saying he's reached the summit of desiring Christ at all moments of his life over everything. That's not what he's saying because he's telling us, I've not already obtained this. I am not already perfect. I'm not. Paul, the apostle, maybe the greatest Christian of all time, is telling us, I'm not who I should be. 
I don't think like I should. I don't act like I should. But you know what I do? I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus once made me his own. And therefore I press on. I seek to get where I'm not yet. Now, we started this year. Maybe you remember, maybe you don't. Maybe you weren't even here for this. But we started this year at the beginning using a metaphor. And I thought a metaphor of climbing mountains would make sense to you people. Uh, because you guys actually do hike mountains up here. But I decided to use a metaphor of a really big mountain for where I thought the Lord was going to take us as a church. Who knows who this mountain is, what this mountain is? Everest. Mount Everest. Anyone know the height of Mount Everest? Is it higher than Mount Washington? Yes. <laughs> it is five times the size of Mount Washington. 29,028 feet. Well, in Christianity, we have, a, we have a massive mountain, a massive summit that we're all ascending. And I'm going to use a big word that I don't all, often use. But I used it at the beginning of the year. I'm going to use it again. It is a word called sanctification. Did I spell that right? Okay. Sanctification is a, <coughs> excuse me, is a biblical term and it literally means becoming like Jesus. Did you know that? That's what sanctification means. Justification means we're declared righteous in the eyes of God even though we're sinners. God declares us righteous when we trust in Jesus. That is what's called justification. Sanctification is the practical becoming like our Lord. And from the moment you're saved to the moment you leave this earth, whether you realize it or not, or whether you desire it or not, you're put on that mountain. And you are commanded to ascend to the summit of sanctification. Did you know that? Every single one of us, no matter where we are, no matter when we started this thing called Christianity, are all commanded to be like Jesus. Does that stress you out? <laughs> we talked about tests, right? We talked about assessments. That is a big, big test. Now, I've never climbed Mount Washington. Maybe I never will. I'm not that concerned about it. But I do have to climb a massive summit in Christianity called sanctification. So did Paul, so does everyone here, if you're in the Lord. We find this in many passages, but one I think that really makes it very clear is 1 Peter verse, chapter 1, verses 15 to 16. The Apostle Peter says this, excuse me. He says, but as he who called you is holy, notice it, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Gulp, right? Wow. Now, generally, when you look at 1 Peter, you zoom right past that. You don't need to study that, right? That's, that can't mean what it actually says. Like, but it does. Peter is telling us that if we're in this Christian life, we are commanded to be like God to conduct ourselves like God. Now, I'm here to encourage you, and I don't think I've done that yet, because I know probably you're all tired right now and weary right now and maybe even sick right now and feeling ex the exhaustion of holidays, and then your pastor comes in on the last day of the new year or the old year and says to you, hey, guys, be holy for God is holy. That's hard to hear. That's a massive hill to climb. And using our metaphor, every single one of us, if we've trusted in Jesus Christ, 
has made our way to base camp. It's a term we call salvation or justification. When you're saved, God enters you into the race and it's free of charge. It's completely by grace alone through faith in Christ and you're a sinner and all you do is trust in Jesus Christ and he says, you are saved. Your sins are cleansed. I have healed you. I have restored you because of the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. You are now saved and cleansed and holy. And he brings you to base camp. But if I went to Everest base camp, can I gloat and put on social media that I've scaled Mount Everest? Is that enough to get to base camp and go, I've done it. I, I did it. I scaled Everest. No, of course not, because I haven't even started to climb. That's kind of how salvation is in the Christian life. We look at it sometimes like at the end of the race, and then you look at Scripture and it says, Be holy as I am holy. And you start to realize salvation is the beginning of the race. Salvation is base camp. Now we all must ascend to somewhere called Christ-likeness. And again, that sounds a little stressful to hear. Because I don't know where you are on this mountain, um, but I'm not very high. <laughs> Paul may have been somewhere around here, I'm guessing. I might be down here questioning my decision-making, making sure my crampons and my jacket work and my gloves are fitted right, and looking up at this huge mountain going, Lord, can I really get up there? Can you take someone like me and actually make me like Jesus Christ? And the answer is yes. Yes. I can and I will. God would say, if you let me. And I told you this is probably how we're feeling today. Coming in here. I am a little bit. I feel like a guy who's just collapsed after a race. Or maybe I didn't even finish the race. I finished one leg of the race and then collapsed. And I'm tired and I'm exhausted. And I want to inspire you. I want to motivate you today. And I'm telling you all today to climb to the summit of sanctification. But aren't you thankful that we have God on our team? Aren't you thankful that God does not give us that command and go, get it done, I'll see you in heaven. Philippians, the same book that we're reading today from the same man, said in verse 6 of chapter 1, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you could climb the summit on your own? I can't. If I was expected to, I might as well leave Christianity right now because I cannot do it. But if the same God who redeemed me is willing to go with me up the mountain and complete that work in my soul, then not only can I, I must because I have God and the Lord with me. And in Lamentations 3, 22 says, God's mercies are new every morning. I don't know how you're feeling coming in today. Maybe you're looking back on 2023 going, well, that was a bad year. Would like to do that one over. And now we're turning the page to a new year next, tomorrow. And I love this verse because it means that no matter what has happened yesterday, victories and defeats, there's mercy and grace available to us today to do what the Lord has called us to do today. And we don't have to worry about tomorrow, do we? 
We only have to worry about today and the climb that we have to make. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this. I haven't reached the summit. I am not perfect at this point in his life, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And we'll come back to that at the end. That's really important. An honest assessment. We're going to look at number two now, a mighty motivation. <laughs> now, take a look at these pictures. I don't know if you can see these. But one of the, one of the biggest um, New Year's resolutions every year is, is weight loss. You guys know that? Getting in shape. I don't know if you can see these pictures, but over here I found a really strange one on the left. This is from the 70s, I think. Called the Wonder Sun Hot Pants. Anyone have that on their list for Christmas? Still time. It's not quite New Year. If you need some hot pants, go get them. This cartoon says, this towel must be very heavy. You ever jumped on the scale and go, man, that's a heavy towel. And I like this guy on the right. He says, in only two weeks, I lost my new glasses. Sometimes we need motivation, right? Really big motivation to do really important things. The word motivation, I decided to look it up, means two different things. Number one, the reason or reasons one has for acting or behaving in a particular way. What gets you out of bed is motivation. Now, guilt it could be motivation. But duty could be motivation. But also desire could be motivation. Passion. Discipline could be motivation. Number two definition is the desire, the general desire of willingness of someone to do something. I like to think of it as a motor in the boat. What makes the boat move? What motivates you as a person to do what you do every day, every year of your life? What gets that motor going? Because we need a motivator in the Christian life, especially when you're feeling weary. Is anyone feeling weary today? Anyone feeling like they need another week off? Anyone feeling like they need a break from the holidays before they go right back to work. What do you do when you feel like giving up? What do you do to inspire yourself, to rest, to motivate yourself, to get back up and keep going? Well, notice what Paul says. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What was Paul's motivator? Jesus. Why do you serve Jesus, Paul? Because of Jesus. Why do you love him? Why do you suffer for him, Paul? Because of Jesus. He once did it for me. When I was a sinner, when I was against God, Christ Jesus summited a Calvary, a hill called Calvary, didn't he? Now, again, I've, I've never even climbed to Mount Washington, so I can't even imagine climbing Mount Everest. But some people have. Some people have summited Mount Everest. And I'm sure that's an amazing thing to be able to say on a resume or to your friends or to your family. I've climbed Mount Everest. I've reached the summit of all summits. Did you know our Lord did this spiritually? What he's commanding us to do in the Christian life is something that he did himself. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. This is probably a passage you're very familiar with, but I want to read it. Let's see if I have it on the screen. I do have it on the screen. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this. Listen to the language. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us, looking to who? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you know your Lord did that for you? There was a hill placed before your Lord called Calvary. And this stressed Jesus out so much that the night before he was crucified, he's in the garden praying to his Father to release it from him. Father, please release this cup from me. If it's your will, Father, don't let me summit this mountain before me. So much so that he's sweating drops of blood in the garden, in anguish over the mountain that he has to climb. But he ends this prayer by saying, but not your will, or not my will, Father, but your will be done. And then Jesus did it. And then the writer of Hebrews uses that as a motivator to help us. Because he knows that possibly in the Christian life, we're fighting weariness. And so he says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I've been weary in Christianity. I'm weary today. A little bit, at least physically. I've never been that weary. I've never had to resist sin and the devil to the point of shedding my blood. Have you? But our captain did. Our savior did. He had to go to such lengths and such limits in following Jesus Christ that he actually got nailed to a tree and died for sins he'd never committed. All because he wanted to please his father and summit the mountain that God gave him. And guess what he did? He endured. And he's telling us today to keep going, press on, move forward. And Apostle Paul is a great example of someone who faced a lot of suffering and obstacles. Do you know how much Paul went through? Have you ever heard how much Paul went through in his life? Paul, at one point in the Second Corinthians, decides to share a little bit of his own resume in Christianity, and it's not very pretty. But this is after he trusted in Jesus Christ, and he was on many missionary journeys, sharing the gospel with, with the people in the lands. And Paul shares to the church in Corinth some of the things that he's had to endure while following Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 24, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. They would actually whip people 40 times minus one, meaning 39 times. Because 40 was enough to kill a man. And they wanted to send a message to you, but not kill you. So they'd give you 39. Paul got that five times. Five times he got whipped. 39 times because he wouldn't stop sharing the gospel. Wow. Three times I was beaten with rods. That's a different beating with a different instrument. He was beaten three times with rods. Once I was stoned. 
Maybe you remember that story. Paul is stoned. They think he's dead. They leave him. He's not dead. He's just really beaten up and bloodied. He gets back up. He goes back into the city and keeps preaching the gospel. Wow. Three times I was shipwrecked. All right, who's been shipwrecked? Anyone? Once? No one's been shipwrecked? Paul was shipwrecked three times. Now, that's a weird thing, right? If anyone ever says that to you, I've been shipwrecked three times, don't go sailing with them. <laughs> Something is going horribly wrong. But Paul was shipwrecked three times, a night and a day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, meaning the Jews, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food. Sorry about that. In cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Does anyone want what Paul had? I don't, really. I mean, if you ask me today, I don't want to experience what Paul experienced. I don't want to be shipwrecked even once or beaten 39 times. I don't want to go often without food. But Paul did for Jesus. And here's the question for us today is why do we do what we do? In Christianity, why do we do this? Why are you sitting here today? You don't have to. You could have slept in. You could have gone shopping. You could have hiked a mountain. You could have done a lot of different things with your time. Why are you here today? Isn't the answer always going to be the same? Jesus. Jesus did it for me. Jesus loved me. Therefore, I want to love him. It's that simple. That's why I stand in this pulpit today. Not because I should be. I'm the best equipped pastor out there. That's not true. It's because I love him. Because he loved me first. And I want to serve him with my life. Why do we do what we do? Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on. I'm willing to keep going in spite of all of that. And he did. He's not flattering himself here. Paul is saying, I will press forward in spite of all of that to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I mean, what do you want to give Jesus at the last day? What do you want to give him? Excuses? Why I didn't go to church? Why I didn't love my neighbor, Jesus? I was busy. I was tired. I didn't have enough people. I didn't have enough resources. I was too weak. I'm not equipped. Jesus, the reason I didn't follow you, the reason I didn't love you is because I didn't have enough time. Or do you want to give Jesus what he asked for? Your life. Because he once gave you his life. In Isaiah 53, we often bring this up during communion, but he says, the prophet in Isaiah 53 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Is Jesus worthy of this? And I'm asking myself today, is Jesus worthy of another leg in the race? Another several miles of ascending, another 30, 40 years of your life of church commitment, service, sacrifice, sharing the gospel, obedience. Is Jesus 
worthy of it? That's the only question we have to answer today. If he's not, we have every reason to walk out of here and live our lives as we want. But what if he is? What if Jesus is worthy? Then we will keep climbing, won't we? We'll keep going. And I want to keep going today. An honest assessment of mighty motivation. Let's finish on a proper focus. I don't know if you can see that little picture there. Um, next year, tomorrow's going to be January 1st. Anyone make New Year's resolutions? Nobody. Okay, we got one. Good job. Really? One? Well, generally with New Year's resolutions, this is how it goes. And Now this is being re really kind, actually, because this says September. But I like this picture because it says, January, the decision was made to finally eat healthier. And then there's a chubbier version of Batman that says... Oh, come on, let's be realistic. That's often how it goes in our New Year's resolutions. At least it goes with mine, as I start off really strong for two or three weeks and then I fade. I don't know what you would say about yourself, what things you would want to improve upon if you could going forward starting tomorrow. What would, those, what would that list be? What would be on your list? If you could make one or two or three things, this year I will resolve myself to dot, dot, dot. What would be that thing? Greater disciplines? greater love, greater thanksgiving, greater joy. I think it's worthwhile to sit down and think about what would be on your list. Paul had his own. He said, brothers, I do not consider that I've made up my own. But one thing I do, notice it, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. One of the blessings of having the calendar flip over from 2023 to 2024 as you get a new start, right? A fresh beginning, no matter how 2023 went. 2023 is now gone, starting tomorrow. And we could focus upon the new year. I like a blank slate, I'm gonna be honest. I like when someone says, hey, you get to start fresh. Paul took that mentality every single day of his life. I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. No. Anyone actually scaled Mount Washington? Climbed Mount Washington? <clears throat> I'm guessing when you scale a high mountain, I've never done it, that if you really want to reach the summit, there's a lot of perseverance involved, right? A lot of focus involved. I'm guessing when you climb Mount Everest, and I've seen some documentaries, that there's some mistakes along the way. Hopefully not tragic mistakes, but you don't do everything perfectly. Well, what do you do at that point? What do you do at that point once you realize you've made a mistake on climbing Mount Everest? If you really want to summit, what do you do? You keep going. You fix your errors, you keep moving forward. What about this? What if you've climbed 80% of the way perfectly, flawlessly, but your goal is not quite reached? What do you do? It's the same answer. Failures or victories, what do you do if there's a mountain that you must summit? And this answer is always the same. Keep going. Paul is telling us that today. I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. Do you think Paul had failures and victories? I think he did. I think he had a bunch of both. If I look back on my 2023, I can see both very clearly. Failures and victories. And I've not reached my summit yet. In fact, maybe I'm not even halfway up. What do I do with all of that? 
failures and victories are in my last year. What do I do in 2024? Forget and keep advancing, right? It's a simple tactic, but it's actually quite brilliant. I found this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. He says, I'm not, I may not be the man I want to be. I may not be the man I ought to be. I may not be the man I could be. I may not be the man I truly can be, but praise God, I'm not the man I once was. Isn't that beautiful? Can you say that today? That you're not where you should be today, but thankfully, you're not what you used to be. That's my testimony right there. That's my testimony. I'm not what I should be. I haven't summited. I haven't become truly like Christ, but thankfully, I'm not what I once was. And it's all because of Jesus. He is the one who has put me here today. I don't stand before you today without Jesus Christ getting me here. So what is my strategy now from this day going forward? Set my eyes on Jesus and keep advancing up the mountain. And as we close today, Colossians 3 is a passage we talked about last time before Christmas. If you remember, focused. And Paul reminds us to set our focus on what's above. He says in verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, if you're saved... If you know Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, if he's yours and you're his, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on 2023. No. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. It's simple. It's simple on purpose. Set your eyes upon the Lord who has saved you and redeemed you and purchased your life back from the grave and say, Jesus, where are you going? I will follow. But I'm going to need your help. And that's when Jesus says, I am here for you. I love you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Jesus does not desire us to get a halfway up the mountain, does he? A third of the mountain, then we fall all the way back down. Is that Jesus' desire for us? No. Jesus' desire for every single one of us is to become like him because he knows what full righteousness is like. When we have full righteousness and godliness, we're the happiest we possibly could ever be. And Jesus desires that for all of us. Not to have the small, puny treasures of this life that one day will fade and be taken from us. He desires true, lasting joy forevermore. And the only way to find that joy is to summit sanctification. So what's our point today? Very simple. I want you to look back on that wall. You guys see that banner hanging there? That's been there ever since I've been here. It says, <coughs> Mark 1.17. Jesus says, come and follow me. The first thing he ever said to his disciples is that phrase. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We've been called not only to trust in Jesus for salvation, we've been called to follow our Lord Jesus up the mountain or the hill of sanctification. And in order to do that, we have to remember three things. Number one, Jesus goes before us. He's already done it. 
He's at the top of the mountain cheering us on. Keep going. Keep moving. Trust me, you want it up here. You want everything that I have. Keep going. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Number two, we need to remember that Jesus promises victory to those who stay steadfast. Did you know every single person who stays steadfast in the Christian life summits? Because it's not about perfection. What's it about? Perseverance. Perseverance. Replace perseverance, excuse me, replace perfection with perseverance and you understand Christianity. It's not about not slipping. It's about keep going. Keep going. Keep climbing up the hill of sanctification. And number three, and maybe the most important one of all, in order to follow our Lord Jesus Christ, really, in 2024, the way that he deserves, you got to remember, Jesus is worthy of the climb. I could say that, and you could take me at my word, but I hope that you guys know that. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Have you seen his love? Has he brought you out of a lot of valleys? Has he gotten you through a lot of trials? Has he been there when you weren't sure how you were going to get out of a situation? Has he forgiven you when you've sinned? Has he restored your relationship to God? Has he given you joy when you didn't deserve it? If so, Jesus is worthy of the climb. And I need to hear this today. Because so many times I focus upon the mountain instead of the one at the top of the mountain. If we remember that he goes before us, if we remember that victory is promised to every single person who's willing to climb, and if we remember that Jesus is worthy of the climb, I believe the blank slate we experience today and tomorrow will motivate us up that mountain. And as great as year one was for me as the pastor of Crossroads Church, guys, I see bigger, better things ahead. I just do. Because we, we have a wonderful church, and better than that, we have a wonderful God. And he's going to take us to places that make us a little uncomfortable. Because it's going to be high where the air is thin. But he's going to be with us. And we're going to summit all for his glory. All by his strength. Will you continue to climb with me? I hope that you'd say yes. Let's bow and pray. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for this reminder today, Father, that we... No matter where we are today, Father, even if we're not climbing, today we're offered a fresh beginning to set our eyes upon Jesus. Maybe for the first time and say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I have nothing to offer God <coughs> except my sin. Jesus, I need you. But Father, remind us, even if we are Christians and have been Christians a long time, that there's still work for us to do. Until you come back, we got to keep climbing. Father, help us to not be weary by that message. Help us to find motivation that you are with us every step of the way and that we can take Philippians 1.6 to the bank, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it if we simply obey, if we simply persevere, and if we simply focus upon our Lord. I pray a blessing over Crossroads Church and everyone who's here today that we could continue to ascend the mountain of sanctification, all for your glory, Jesus, because one day you did it for us and you are worthy of that climb. I thank you and I praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand and sing one more song with us.